Those of you just joining us, we have been looking at a number of psalms, and so I invite you this morning to turn to Psalm 122. In the Pew Bible, it's found on page 656, Psalm 122. And and as you're you're turning there, this is, uh, as we look at the title, it says it's a song of ascent. Uh, And what this may mean is that the people of God may have chanted or sung this as they were making their pilgrimage, as they were going on spiritual journey pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times each year. Now this could have happened during the time of King David or perhaps it happened as well, the pilgrims coming back after the exile. As we'll see here, this is a psalm of David, which means that he may have been the author of the psalm or it may have been a a part of a collection attributed to him. Um, And the other thing we'll notice about this psalm is that it's short in length, which again makes it easier to recite if you're chanting it as as you go. And there are 15 of these songs of ascent Uh, this being one of them. Jerusalem, again, is the place where God meets his people, and that brings them great joy. Let's pray before we read this. Father, we thank you for this psalm that you've given us, and we ask now that you would bless us as we hear your word read again, and as we listen to it proclaimed. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would speak through this preacher that you would help each hearer to hear clearly, that you would use it for your good purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 122. A song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Has anyone ever said to you, let us go to the house of the Lord? I will never forget my first month at college. I was a stranger in a strange town, Charlottesville, Virginia, and I was on parking lot duty with Navy ROTC, which I was... Uh, and we were uh, watching the parking lot so that people would not get in early necessarily as they, they were tailgating before the football game that Saturday morning. And it was early in the morning, I don't know if it was seven or eight in the morning, there was a couple that was walking down the street, they may have been with their dog, I don't remember, it's been too many years at this point. But what I do remember is that their faces were familiar. 
Here I was, a new student in the city. I hardly knew anybody. And it was a familiar face of this couple walking down the street. The woman's name was Jill, and she was the field hockey coach at the private high school that I'd gone to in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. No, of course, I didn't play field hockey. But she also had taken, during my days as a student there, a group of Christian students to a conference in, at Princeton University while I was there. And I was one of the students who went there with her. And her husband-to-be at that time was a, an undergraduate student at Princeton, and so I'd met him. And so as I see them walking down the, fa the street, I'm seeing two familiar faces in a strange city. And they invited me to go to church with them. I, they, they, picked me, they offered to give me a ride. The church was too far for me to walk to on my own, and that changed my life. There was hardly a Sunday that I missed church unless I was sick or out of town during the next four years. Their kind offer to join me at the house of the Lord changed the way that I experienced college. Has anyone ever said to you, let us go? to the house of the Lord. I'm guessing they, they wouldn't have used those words precisely if they, they invited you. Maybe they said, would you like to join us for worship? Would you like to join us for church? But if you've ever known the loneliness of being a stranger in a strange place, which was my experience my first semester of college, then you may understand the joy of hearing those words, let us go to the house of the Lord. This morning, as we look at this psalm, it divides uh, into three sections here, which I'll call the pilgrim's joy, the pilgrim's praise, and the pilgrim's prayer. The pilgrim's joy, the pilgrim's praise, and the pilgrim's prayer. And when I use the word pilgrim, I mean, we may be thinking of Thanksgiving here, but I'm, I'm speaking here of people who are on a spiritual journey seeking to know God, seeking to worship God, seeking to come into his presence. So firstly, the pilgrim's joy, verses 1 and 2, or we might say the worshiper's joy. Listen again to verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 122. I was glad, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. I was glad to be in church with God's people when I was away from home for the first time as a college student. And so the Israelites were glad to be in Jerusalem for these pilgrim feasts that they were going on. Our feet have been standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. And as Christians, we're not looking to stand within the gates of Jerusalem, the earthly city, but our pilgrimage is to the, the heavenly city, the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, that's what I, we long for. That's the goal, is to make it at the end of our lives to into the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. But it is necessary to be present in Jerusalem to experience that, or to be present in the new Jerusalem. And some have said that showing up is half the battle. But what is it that keeps us from making it into the presence of God's people? What keeps us from showing up in, in worship or continuing on our spiritual journey? There are a lot of things. There are a lot of people that have dropped out of church, I believe, during this pandemic. Some have connected to our congregation and certainly to many others as I've talked to other pastors. What is it that keeps us from fully engaging in pilgrimage and journeying and walking with God and worshiping with his people? Well, certainly illness and pandemic can, can do that and have done that in the last 
year health issues, but also I would suggest to you misplaced priorities, not keeping work in its proper perspective or having boundaries on our work which enables it to creep into all other areas of our lives is another thing. Or having misplaced priorities in other areas or perhaps spiritual apathy, an indifference, a coldness toward God can keep us from being properly engaged and showing up and having our feet standing within the gates of Jerusalem or the new Jerusalem with God's people. We, we know the benefits of, of Zoom. There have been benefits. We, in, in a number of ways, in a number, number of days, we not, would not be able to worship together even or meet together in other ways during the pandemic. And we continue to use Zoom for some of our small groups and also for our prayer meetings. But at the same time, we have to recognize the limitations, that it is a virtual reality, that while we can see and hear each other on Zoom, we cannot touch or smell or, or taste some of the senses are neglected. And yes, we've been encouraged. There have been some things that we've been able to participate. I, I, there was at least one wedding that I would not have been able to go to that I participated in the last year via Zoom. But no, it's, it's not the same. And we need to remember that, that there's a difference to being in person. Um, a number of years ago, even before Zoom, there was a, a, a memorial service that I was able to participate in that it was too far away. I would not have been able to go otherwise. It was a tragic death of a, a friend of ours uh, whose son had died in, in college. And I was thankful for the opportunity to participate through Facebook Live or whatever it was, YouTube or whatever medium it was at the time. But at the same time, I couldn't express my grief to the family. I couldn't give them a hug. It, there are certain limitations to, to virtual reality, and we need to remind ourselves that being in person is greater by far. far. Being within the gates, having our feet be within the gates of New Jerusalem, within the gates of the church. And as we read these words, we can imagine King David saying, let us go to the house of the Lord. As he danced with all his might in 2 Samuel chapter 6, bringing the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem. At the same time, we can also imagine exiles returning from Jerusalem, exiles who've been thousands of miles away, who are now full of joy that they are finally coming home to Jerusalem. And as with many psalms, we don't know who wrote this psalm or precisely when it was written, whether it was written before or after God's people went into exile in 587 B.C., whether it was before the temple was erected by King Solomon or whether it was after it was torn down at the time of the exile. But what is clear is that the pilgrim, the one who's on a spiritual journey to Jerusalem to meet with God and to meet with his people, arrives in Jerusalem and arrives full of joy. There was to be one religious center in Israel, for Israel, where they were to worship God. And that center was the city of Jerusalem. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 16 and 7 says, Three times a year, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, also we call it the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, and the Feast of Booze, or Tabernacles. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of your Lord, the Lord your God, he has given you. 
The men of Israel were required to make these journeys, these pilgrimages, three times a year for the feast of unleavened bread and Pentecost and tabernacles. But how does this apply to Christians? How does it apply to people today? Christians are, too, are pilgrims. We are on a spiritual journey, and we are worshipers of God, but we don't need to go to the earthly city of Jerusalem. No, that city, uh, the temple there, was destroyed in 70 AD and has never been rebuilt since then. But as I mentioned last week, there's no more need for animal sacrifices, even if a temple were built in Jerusalem again. There's no more need for animal sacrifices since Jesus offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins and put an end to the need for a sacrificial system. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. But there's to be a joy in Christian worship and on spiritual journey as we are able to come into God's presence through Jesus, through what he's done on our behalf, and to meet with God's people. Pilgrimage is never easy. It is hard to get there and hard to to be there sometimes in God's presence, but there is a joy. And so we continue as pilgrims on a journey to the heavenly Jerusalem, That's where we're going. We're not going by ourselves. We are going with God's people, that God might bring us to that final destination where we might have the fullness of joy that Jude mentions in his letter. Now to him who is able to keep your feet from stumbling as you're on the spiritual journey and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Pilgrimage is not easy. It's going to be hard to get there, but by the grace of God, we will arrive at our destination, the heavenly Jerusalem. Our feet will be standing within the gates of the heavenly Jerusalem. So if you're discouraged this morning on your journey, be encouraged by the grace of God, that God the Holy Spirit sustains you as you gather and as we worship together to help us and encourage us along the way. So there's the pilgrim's joy in verses 1 and 2, and then there's the pilgrim's praise, the pilgrim's praise in verses 3 through 5. Jerusalem is the destination of the Israelite pilgrim, But what is the psalmist saying in verse 3 here as we read, Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. He's emphasizing the strength and the might of Jerusalem, as he does in Psalm 48. We read part of Psalm 48 earlier, but listen to verses 12 through 14, which we did not read. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Jerusalem is bound firmly together, and that may refer to the compactly built city, or it may refer to the worshipers who are closely united in fellowship. There's a unity among the people of God, a unity amid diversity. Israel was a nation of 12 tribes, and there was diversity among those tribes in terms of their function. Some of them were priests. Those were from the tribe of Levi. 
Some of them were rulers. They came from the tribe of Judah. And they also had different personalities, as did the, their descendants as well. Jerusalem, built together, is a city that is bound firmly together. There's a unity, but there's also a diversity, as there is among the body of Christ, the people of God today. And Jerusalem and Mount Zion, if you were to physically go there, they're not, it's not a big mountain. But whenever people go to Jerusalem, they're, they're said to go up. The Bible always talks about going up to Jerusalem, never going down, though it's not that big of a mountain. To which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, that is Yahweh, the covenant Lord, as was decreed for Israel. The purpose of pilgrimage or spiritual journey is not primarily the fellowship of the pilgrims, but that does happen along the way. It is to give thanks to the name of the Lord. It's to praise, worship, and give thanks to God, to Yahweh, the covenant Lord. And giving thanks to God and worshiping him is far more important than we tend to think it is. In fact, this is one of the things that Paul singled out as bringing God's judgment upon mankind was a failure to thank God, to worship him as we ought. He says in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile, futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We, we owe God thanks and worship. That's why we need to gather week by week. We owe it to him. It's, it's our duty to praise him, to thank him, to worship him week by week, and to gather with his people. And God revealed his name in the Old Testament as Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the covenant Lord, but in the New Testament, he reveals himself, his name as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as we gather together. And this fellowship is, is more a result or a byproduct of gathering together for worship. It, we're not primarily seeking unity or prosperity by gathering. We're seeking to give thanks to the name of God. That's why we gather week by week. And Christians are reminded of our duty to gather in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, the day of Christ coming again, drawing near. Now there are good reasons why some of us cannot meet in person and some of you are on Zoom with us this morning, and most of those are related to, to health reasons or the health of loved ones. Some are genuinely shut in, and it's up to those of us who are healthy and physically able to come to, to try to reach out and communicate with and encourage those who are shut in and not able to be with us, those who are on Zoom. But we do need to remind ourselves that there are some differences between Israel and the new Israel, the church, and Jerusalem and the new Jerusalem. And in verse 5, we read, Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. There's not a separation of church and state the way we have in our nation here. Yes, there were distinct offices of prophet, priest, and king in Israel, and there were some checks and balances on those in those respective offices. But Jerusalem was not only the religious center of the people of God, the place of worship, of coming for pilgrimage, but it was also 
the, the political center as well, symbolized by the thrones of judgment, the thrones of David. The kings upheld God's kingship to the extent that they were faithful in dispensing justice, which was to be a part of the messianic era. And all the kings of the house of David failed in one way or another, some more than others. And so they pointed to the need for a ruler who would come and rule most perfectly, most justly, the Messiah. And a thousand years after King David came, Jesus came. And we're waiting for him to come again, that his rule and his reign, his justice might be perfected when he comes again. And the new Jerusalem comes in all its fullness. The pilgrim's joy, the pilgrim's praise, and lastly, the pilgrim's prayer in verses 6 through 9. It's been said that there can be no peace without justice. There can be no peace without justice. And that's true. The psalmist has a clear vision for peace in Jerusalem. And he calls for prayer for this peace in verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Security and prosperity and peace are dependent upon justice. And it's difficult to achieve peace in this present world order as it was in the time of the psalm writers. If you look over at Psalm 120, just a couple of psalms away from this, and look at verses 6 and 7. Listen to what this songwriter, also one of the songs of ascent, says. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Peace is not just the absence of war or relief from external enemies, though it certainly includes both of those. It includes the absence of war and relief from external enemies, but it is more than that. It also includes peace among the people of God. And interestingly, the name Jerusalem means city of peace, and yet throughout the ages, it has struggled to be a place of peace, and that's true today as well. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. It includes the blessing or wholeness of life and a flourishing. So when we think of the word peace, the Hebrew word, think of flourishing, of thriving, flourishing of relationships, not just a tolerance of others, but a love for others. As one author puts it, shalom at its highest is enjoyment in one's relationships. Enjoyment in one's relationships. A nation may be at peace with all its neighbors and yet be miserable in its poverty. To dwell in shalom is to enjoy living before God, to enjoy living in one's physical surroundings, and to enjoy life with oneself and with others. The concern of the psalmist is, is as much for peace within Jerusalem, among God's people, internal relations, we might say, as it is with external enemies, though that's obviously an important part of having peace, too. In fact, three times he mentions within verses 7 and 8, within, peace within, peace within your walls, and security within your towers. And for my brother and brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. As Jesus said, and as Abraham Lincoln quoted Jesus during the Civil War, a house divided against itself cannot stand. 
And that applies to nations such as the one we live in today, the United States, but it also applies to the church as well. And so we are to pray for the peace, the flourishing of God's church, that we might have peace within our relationships within the church, but more than that, that the church might flourish, that God might be praised and worshiped and given thanks as he ought to be. And obviously we can pray for the earthly city of Jerusalem, but our focus is more on the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, as we read at the beginning of the service in Hebrews 12, the theme verse printed at the top of your bulletin. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Not the earthly Jerusalem, but the heavenly Jerusalem. The Christian hope for peace is based on the work of Jesus Christ. As Paul writes in Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace, that is Jesus is our peace, who made us both one, Jews and Gentiles, one, and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. And he goes on to say this about the church. It's the temple of God. In Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, the whole temple, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built into a dwelling place for God, by the Spirit. Where is God's temple today? Wherever his people meet, it is with us today. Where does God dwell these days? He dwells with his people in his church, the house of the Lord. We are his holy temple. And where, does, where is the hope for peace among his people? Well, it lies in the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, in him, you are also are being built into a holy dwelling place for God. By the Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to bear good fruit in our relationships within this holy temple. The fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Against those things there is no law. But that doesn't mean that we who are members of the church don't also need to work at keeping the peace. Yes, we need to pray for the flourishing, the peace of the church, but we also need to work at it as well as Paul says in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Yes, peace includes flourishing in our relationships and, and more than that, flourishing in the church as a whole. And so we pray for the peace, the flourishing of the new Jerusalem. We mean, and by that we mean that we're praying for the church on earth especially because those saints who have already departed are already experiencing in fuller ways than we are the shalom that is yet to come, even though it'll be even fuller when Jesus comes again. And so the psalm writer invites his readers to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, pray for the flourishing, the peace of the church. And then he concludes in verse 9 by saying, For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So there's not just a praying for the good, but we're seeking it out. We're looking to do it 
among God's people. And one of the promises that we ask people to make when they become members is this. Do you seek the peace, purity, and prosperity of this congregation so long as you are a member of it? Do you seek the peace, purity, and prosperity of this congregation so long as you are a member of it? In other words, how are we using our time, our talents, our treasure to seek the good, the flourishing, the peace, the well-being of the church and of the members of the church? Where there are relationships which need healing, we must pray and work toward peace and healing and reconciliation. And sometimes we need an attitude shift from a mindset of a consumer to the mindset of a producer, asking not so much, what did I get from coming to church, but what did I give? What did I give to God and to my brothers and sisters and companions? What can I give? How can I build up the body of Christ? How can I cause the church of God to flourish so that my work is in proper perspective? It's not so taking up so much of my time and energy that I have no, nothing to, left to give the church or other things that can distract us as well so that we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. How can I help God's people to flourish so that we collectively, we corporately make it to the end of our pilgrimage, to the gates of the new Jerusalem. The pilgrim's joy, there's joy coming. There's some joy in the journey, but there's more coming at the end of our pilgrimage. The pilgrim's praise, we are to give thanks and praise to God. That's why we gather primarily. There are other secondary reasons as well. And the pilgrim's prayer for the peace, the flourishing of the church. May God the Holy Spirit empower us to seek the good of Christ's church. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you. We thank you for these words from this psalm. And we know, Lord, that it is hard to live this out. It is, we get weary in the journey. But we also are reminded that we need each other, that this is a corporate journey. We're not just doing this individually. We don't just walk following you individually. Lord, we worship with your people regularly. We gather, we meet, we encourage one another. We don't forsake meeting together. Lord, help us to be faithful in this. And we pray, Lord, for those who are not physically able to be with us, for those who are shut in for one reason or another. Help us, Lord, to engage with them, to encourage them that they might make it as well with us to our destination, the heavenly Jerusalem. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.